This is Truth and Love Ministries, where we bring people home to God by learning His truth and experiencing His unending love. This week's message is on gratitude. We look again at the life of Hezekiah to learn how we should respond after God delivers us or liberates us from a storm. We pray this message refreshes you and speaks encouragement to whatever is going on in your life right now. Okay, let's listen to Pastor Nunn's message on gratitude. Good morning, everybody. Just want to say, let us thank our God for being awesome and good and compassionate and kind and keeping us for being so full of mercy, for meeting our needs and keeping us well and and all that he's done for us, us throughout this past week. And let us again remember those who are sick and have lost loved ones during this crisis. Let us pray for them and for those who unselfishly put themselves in harm's way to serve and protect others without regard to themselves. Let us continue to pray for the scientists and those that are working so diligently for a cure to this virus that God will do a quick work in them to bring us to a quick solution and remedy for this virus. God already knows all the answers. He already has the answer in hand. He knew that this day would come even before we experienced it. And he knew what the solution to all of our problems are and would be. Let us continue to pray for the unemployed and homeless and hungry that God will provide for them. Let us pray for opportunities to be used in the lives of those that are struggling, even right around us, whether they be in our neighborhoods or whether they be on our jobs, wherever they may be. May God lead us to those who we can currently and presently help. And Lord, let, let us pray for our leaders that God will turn their hearts to do his will, that God will lead them and guide them and direct them into what to do as far as the next bill. May they all come in agreement and one accord to do what's best in, for this nation. And I pray concerning the situation for uh, this recent murder in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where they police kill this man unarmed, and there are riots all over the nation in in different states across the nation. Our nation is in utter chaos and turmoil. We're dealing with the pand- pandemic. We're dealing with unemployment. It is truly amazing to me how our lives can be changed, and I say it this time and time again, that our lives can be changed in, the, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, how we can go to bed one night and everything be fine, and we can wake up the next day and everything be in chaos and turmoil. I pray for those people that are, are looting and protesting. I pray for those who have a heart and an intent for peaceful protest. Uh, 
who have no malice or evil intent, I pray that God will keep them safe and that the, the cries of their hearts will be heard. I pray for that family that lost their loved one recent, even those that are not so recent, yet still within the last month or two. I pray that, that God will speak to their hearts and bring peace to their minds and that their confidence and trust for justice will be in him and not in a system. And that even when it seems as if man is escaping justice and even when it seems as if they are getting away, God is still a God of justice and none of us will ever escape the hand of the almighty God. I pray God will grace them to put these people in his hands and trust him for the outcome. I pray for the the, the, the uh, Attorney General of the United States and of that state and the prosecution and judges and everybody that will be appointed in this case. I pray that God will handpick and select all the people that's necessary and needed to bring about the purpose and plan that he has already predestined and desired to come forth from this. I pray for God to lead and guide the prosecution and people on the other officers that were there. And Lord, we, I, 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 we don't want, I don't want our will because I don't know, I even, I know what I saw, but I still don't know all the facts. You know what was in the heart of these men when they sought to do what they did. You know what they were thinking when they were doing what they were doing. And only you and them know the answers to those questions. So only you can make a fair judgment in this case. And I'm asking you to do that. I'm asking you to work and to move and to intervene and to work in this situation. I pray for people again as, as they are, man, people are really, really getting out. Traffic is picking up in all areas. People are returning back to work. People are getting out, shopping and mingling and hanging out with each other. And, and I see some wearing masks and some not wearing masks. I pray that we would use the means that's been provided for us to protect ourselves and, and others as we get out because the virus is still there and it's still deadly and dangerous. So Lord, I'm just praying for mercy in this situation in our state, in our nation, and around the world. And I'm asking you to intervene and do what only you can do. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. As we have, we have seen the four stages that King Hezekiah went through and the lessons that he, that he and we can learn during times of crisis, and, and Lord have mercy, we are in a crisis in every sense of the word now. We're in a financial crisis. There are many people in financial crisis. The job market is terrible. Thank God for a job. There are many people that are hungry and they, they're suffering from food crisis, homeless, homelessness, and people not able to pay their mortgage and are losing their homes in a, in a crisis for, for housing. We're in this crisis where people are, are are protesting and 
and looting and burning and doing different things in, in different states across the nation. And we're in this pandemic crisis and we're dealing with that. So there are some things that Hezekiah went through and stages he went through in when he was going through the crisis. And, and the first state he went through, and we covered this in the first message, and he was shocked. And Lord, have mercy, have we been shocked. Over 100,000 people have died in our nation. That is shocking. It came into the nation in, 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 in Washington State with only one death. If anybody had ever told me that we would be facing 102, uh, 103, whatever it is at this particular day, day and time, I would have told them they were crazy. That what we saw happening in Italy and China would be happening in America. I never in a life, in my whole life, would have believed it. I was shocked. Then we saw Hezekiah when he went through, and he had, he went through the time of hope that he could pray and God would work and God would move and God would intervene. And then we saw the anguish, how he went through anxiety and how he went through the, difficult, the difficulty that he faced while he was going through his crisis. I'm sure there's many people all over the world that's, that's going through anguish and anxiety. I pray even for those governors and mayors of those states and cities where these people are, are they, they, they got so much on their plate, they got so much to handle and deal with, and so many people are looking to them for help, hope, and advice, and I'm sure they are awake all night, most of the night, trying to monitor and watch their cities and their states to try to make sure everything goes as well as it can possibly go. And then we studied last week that he went through a time where his faith was tested and we learned that all of our faith, every one of us, our faith will be tested. Will be tested. And anything that is not tested we have no assurance that it will do what we perceive it to, it to do. It must be tested. Because faith that's not tested is not a faith that we can rely or depend upon. A faith that's not tested is a faith that has not been truly developed. And I, as, as I said before, the purpose of, of any test is to show strength and weaknesses so that our faith may be purified like gold. The purpose of any test, the purpose of every test, is to show where we really are. And we, we saw that, that not only will, our, will it be tested, but our faith has to be strengthened. You know, God didn't give us faith for our faith to remain the same. He expects, expects us to continually grow in faith. And in order for anything to be strengthened, it must be fed. I mean, you don't get strength in your body if you don't feed your body. The food for our faith 
is the word of God. And there must be a steady and consistent diet in the life of the Christian of the word. We have to have a steady and consistent diet of the word of God. I heard one man say that it should be like an IV, a continual drop, a continual dripping of the word into us on a day-to-day -day basis, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. I heard somebody say years ago, what dog is going to win the fight? And they said, the one that you feed the most. So if we feed our faith the most, our faith will be the stronger in, in, a, in a crisis or a difficult situation. And the third thing is that our faith can be assured. Truly, if we can find no assurance of faith, assurance of faith, it cannot stand. We can, it cannot stand. Any faith that's not assured, that has some form of assurance that it's going to work, it's going to do what it's, it's intended to do, it won't stand. That person won't be able to stand. And what gives us assurance? Assurance. We're assured because we are first what? Loved. Everybody knows John 3.16, for God so loved the world. The first thing that we learn about God is that he loves us. And that there is an unconditional love that comes from God. A love that we can receive from no one else in this manner or this fashion. And the second thing that we learn is that we are saved. That we are saved. Hezekiah said that he had been delivered from the pit. The pit of destruction. In our New Testament language that would be hell. We can all be grateful that we are saved from hell. And lastly, we learn that for our faith to be assured that we are forgiven. The scripture in, in the Old Testament put it this way, that God had placed his sin behind, placed our sin behind his back, or Hezekiah's sin behind his back. And we said that when we, when we place our sins behind our back, we put them in front of, in God's face. And when we put them in our face in true repentance, God puts them behind his back and we can in turn Put them behind our back. And today, we want to talk about gratitude. We want to talk about gratitude. You know, the Bible said, enter his gates with what? Thanksgiving in your heart and enter his courts with praise. We ought to say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. The Bible says, oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good and his mercy endures forever. The Bible says, rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. We are, we should be, we should every day and especially during this crisis and 
And every day that we wake up and we have what we need and we're safe and we're protected and we're well, we should wake up with the attitude of gratitude. But let's first ask, us, ask a, a couple of questions. What use did Hezekiah make of the 15 years that God gave him? That's question one. Question number two is, and what will you do when you get your life back? Really and truly, all of us can say it in some way, shape, or form, our lives have been taken away from us. Hezekiah's life had been put on hold, put a, brought to a standstill, and literally told that it was coming to an end. And then when Isaiah came, the prophet came and said, get your house in order, you shall not recover, but you shall die. And Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, and when he prayed, he actually said, Lord, he actually prayed, and, and, and before Isaiah could get out of the, court, the, the, the palace court, God spoke to him and said, go back and tell Hezekiah that I have added 15 years to his life. In this pandemic, our lives have been somewhat taken away. We can't, or they don't desire for us to, to be in too big, of a, too, big of, too big of a crowd. They want us to do social distancing. Our lives have been taken away in the sense that we are not able to, to, to go in the stores and shop like we once have. We, the theater's been closed and for a long period of time, people couldn't even get their hair cut and, 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 and nails done and different things that people do. They, they were unable to do these things. Our lives have been taken away in the sense of being able to come together and worship and, and fellowship with each other. And, the, and it's a real question that every one of us need to consider. What will we do when we get our lives back? So we want to follow what Hezekiah said, what he did, and what he discovered and how God's grace prevailed. Now, let's look at what he said. Isaiah chapter 38, verse number 15, he said these words. He said, what shall I say? For he has spoken to me, and he himself has done it. This is Hezekiah talking. He said, I walked slowly all my years because of the bitterness of my soul. Now, we talked about what he meant when he said, I walk slowly. We, we, we recognize that the original language was saying he would walk humbly before God. Now, here Hezekiah is making a commitment. And his commitment was that he would walk humbly before God. This is what he said. This is what this man said he would do, that he would walk humbly before God. This is his promise. This is what he's telling God he's going to do. While he's in the crisis, he's not completely out. He's making a commitment. And it seems to be a good commitment. I'm going to, make a, I'm going to walk humbly before God. 
Isaiah chapter 38 and verse 19 and 19 and 20, he said, the living, the living, he thanks you. As I do this day, the Father makes known to the children your faithfulness. He said, the Lord will save me and he will play my music on string instruments all the days of our lives at the house of the Lord. Now, I want you to notice some things that a humble person will do. A humble person seeks to glorify God. Hezekiah somewhat said, he said, no one from the pit is going to praise you, but I will. Why? Because you have delivered me from the pit. And then a humble person seeks the good of others. And then as you notice in verse number 20, it goes from me to we. We will sing and worship. We will. See, it, all, it, 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 it talks about him, him teaching his children. It, it talks about him going to the temple and worshiping God with the people of God. This is what humility brings forth in the lives of people. And then in Isaiah chapter 39, verse 1 through 6, it says, At that time, Merodach, Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that he had been sick and had recovered. And Hezekiah welcomed them gladly. And he showed, them, showed him his treasure house and the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his whole armory, all that was found in his storehouses. And it says there was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Then the prophet Isaiah came to King Hezekiah and said to him, what did these men say? And from where did they come to you? Hezekiah said, they have come to me from a far country, from Babylon. He said, what have they seen in your house? Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouse that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, here he is with a word from God again. He said, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your father has stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. Now, <laughs> that tells me that good people can make some terrible decisions. A good man showing future enemies all the treasures in his house. It takes me to the scripture in the New Testament that says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And it also says, don't cast your pearls before swine, lest they turn and rend you or lacerate you. Hezekiah showed his future enemies 
everything that was in his house, all of his treasures. Let me say something to you. Don't let, every, don't let anybody know everything that you have. Don't show anybody everything that you got. Because some may come and actually rob you. And Hezekiah received the word that everything in his house was going to be taken. Even his sons would be taken. This is what sowed the seed of the loss of the kingdom for future generations. Just one bad decision. Listen to me, folks. One bad decision, one bad choice can change the future for not only you, but for other generations. One bad decision. And this also shows that in our lives, our, the, the future generations of our children can be affected by our decisions. I know that by my own life that we actually deal with stuff that our parents dealt with or refused to deal with. And then when in Isaiah chapter 39, verse 7 and 8, I think I've already said this. He said, and some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away. And they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. He said, they're going to be made eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. And then the story gets kind of sad in Hezekiah 39, verse 7 and 8. It says, it says, then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. Now, all of us know that the word that God speaks is good. But a word that says your entire kingdom, everything that you have in your house will be taken and even your sons will be eunuchs in the kingdom of Babylon don't sound real good to me. So what was Hezekiah talking about? Then it goes on to say, for he thought there will be peace and security in my days. My, my. Let me say this to you folks, that every, the greatest enemy, and I think I said this, the greatest enemy of us all is self and selfishness. The greatest enemy of us all is self and selfishness. It came from the devil when the devil said, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. My, my, my. It manifested in Adam when he said, the woman you gave me, the preservation of self. And when the woman said, the devil made me do it. The preservation of again, again, again of self and the refusal of responsibility. That's the greatest enemy that most of us face. And, and, and every one of us know that judgment is coming on the world, but our thought is, as long as 
I'm not in it, or as long as I'm not a part of it, think about what Hezekiah said. Hezekiah said, he, he said to Isaiah, his thought was, there will be peace and security in my days. In other words, I won't see it in my 15 years, so I'm good. Not even concerned about his own sons and his own children, just grateful that he would not see it in his day. God gave him life, and he lived it for himself. The question again is, who will you live your life for when you get it back? Let me, let me kind of deviate off, but I'm still on track here. But I know for me, for a moment, my life was taken away. I was in Hezekiah, Hezekiah's place. I woke up on January the 21st, 2019, and I could not speak. I had a crisis, and I was shocked, and I was in anguish. But then I had hope. But my faith was tested. My faith went through a trial. And then finally my life was given back to me. So the question again is, God gave Hezekiah his life back and he lived it for himself. The question again is, some of us have went through sickness and disease that should have taken us completely out. And God has given us our lives back. And who are we living, living that life for? So the question is, in Hezekiah's place, life, how could a godly man behave in such a way? or an ungodly manner. Let's look at what Hezekiah discovered. In 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verse 24 and 25, it says, In those days Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. It's almost telling the same story as Isaiah chapter 38. It says, And he prayed to the Lord, and he answered him and gave him a sign. But it says, but Hezekiah did not make return again according to the benefit done to him. For his heart was proud. Therefore wrath came upon him in Judah and Jerusalem. See, the discovery Hezekiah made was his heart was proud. Pride lurked in his heart. He lived for himself. He forgot about the God he made commitments to. He forgot the promises that he made. The things that he said that he would do. And he began to live for himself. In 2 Chronicles 32 Verse 27 through 29, it says, <clears throat> excuse me, and it says, and Hezekiah had very great riches and honor. Hear the words here. He made for himself treasuries for silver, 
And I want to say he made for himself because that's the running theme in every one of these. It said he made for himself treasuries for silver. In other words, he made a place for it to put his silver. He made a place to put his gold. He made a place to put his precious stones. He made a place for his spices. He made a place for his shields and for all kinds of costly vessels. He also made storehouses also for the yield of grain, wine, and oil. He made for himself stalls for all kinds of cattle and sheepfolds. Hear this. He likewise provided cities for himself and flocks and herds in abundance for God had given him very great possessions. Now this man that made a commitment that he would walk slowly before our God or humbly before our God has now become, according to 2 Chronicles 32, 24, 25, I think it was, he has now become proud in heart. And now, rather than doing these things that he promised for God, he's now doing them for himself. And let me ask this question. What are you storing up for yourself? What are you building for yourself? What are you setting aside for yourself? What are you holding back for yourself? Who are you going to live for when your life is restored back to you? when your life is given back. The question is not, will you pray in a crisis? The question is, how will you live when the crisis is over? What will you do with your life when God gives it back to you? What will you do with the opportunities to come to church? to participate in Bible study, Sunday school, to give to the church. What will you do with those opportunities now that we have seen them missing, taken away for a period of time? Has it become a priority and a value to, value to you? What will you do I know everybody's asking, when are you going to open back up? It seems now that we're closed, I have more people asking when we're going to open. And when we were open, nobody wanted to come. But it seems like a crisis makes people like Hezekiah want to make commitments now to God. But the question again is, what will you do with your life when God gives it back to you? Second Chronicles 32, 25, it said, but Hezekiah did not make a return according to the benefit done, for, done to him, for his heart was proud. Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done to him. In other words, what God blessed me with, I didn't return back to him. 
anything because of a proud heart. And a proud heart leads to a selfish life because a proud heart sets you over in opposition against God. And it sets you in opposition against God because it makes you believe that you have done certain things or you can do certain things or you want certain things. I was driving to work this week and one day I was going to work and the thought came to my mind. I, I said this to myself so I could keep myself in a humble state. I said, I have nothing. I said, I am nothing. And I said, I own nothing. And I was talking to a friend today, and I should have said, I deserve nothing. See, because when I think that I deserve something, when I think that I have something, when I, and I added this, I, I can do nothing. And when I think that I can do something, then I have an attitude. But when I realize that I am nothing, without Jesus, of course, when I realize I own nothing because he owns it all, when I realize I can do nothing because he said I am the vine, you are the branch, and without me you can do nothing, and when I realize I deserve nothing because of the life that I live, the wages of sin is death, that's what I really truly deserve. If I can keep these things in my mind, then I can keep myself in a position where I don't think that I deserve better than what I'm getting. And the thing we have to consider is that God loves his children so much that he will deal with the proud heart. I can remember when I was so arrogant that I thought I was too good to dump trash when God first sent me back to Briggs and Stratton. He had me on the, on the cleaning crew, and I used to wait till people left the line so I could run out there and dump the trash. I didn't want anybody seeing me dump the trash. And God spoke to me one day when I was in the office. He said, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It sets God over in opposition against you when you are proud, but it give, puts God on your side when you are humble. God loves his children so much that he will deal with the proud heart. He will not, not allow us to continue in that sin because that sin leads to destruction. So what did God's wrath look like? Second Chronicles chapter 32 verse 31 said, and so in the matter of the envoys of the princes of Babylon who had been sent to inquire, sent to him to inquire about the sign that had been done in the land. This is what it says. God left him to himself in order to test him to, and to know all that was in his heart. God left him to himself in order to test him and to know all that was in his heart. Sometimes God will leave us to ourselves in order for us to be exposed to us. Jeremiah said it this way, the heart of man is desperately wicked. Who can know his own heart and mind? In other words, we don't really know ourselves, so God has to leave us to ourselves in order for us to know what's in our heart. And then he went on to say, he, God, God said this in Deuteronomy chapter 8, he said he let them go through the wilderness to test them 
to know what was in their heart, whether they would obey him or not. God didn't do that so that he would know whether they would obey him. He knew they wouldn't obey him. He had to let them be tested so they would know that they would not obey him. To know all that was in his heart. Folks, that's when I was talking about the test of faith. The test of faith will reveal every time what's in your heart. When someone that has been blessed by God turns from him in defiance and refuses to repent, things don't go well with them. Take the prodigal son. The prodigal son, blessed, living in his daddy's house. Tired of living under daddy's rules. Tired of living how dad said he needs to live. Wants to live on his own. Wants to do his own thing. So he goes to his dad and says, dad, it's taking you too long to die. Give me my inheritance now. Give me, give me my stuff now. And the father divided all of his living and gave it to his son. He went into a far country and dad wasted his Substance with riotous living, as they would say. And then when he had, uh, when his friends had helped him use up all, use all his money, and all of his money was gone, he found himself taking on a job feeding pigs. In other words, the Jewish people considered swine to be unclean, and they were not to be touched by Jewish people. But here was a Jewish boy in the pig pen with the pigs, taking a job feeding the pigs, and became so hungry that he wanted to eat what the pigs ate. Now that's getting down to the bottom. And that's when he realized what was in his heart. That's when he saw what was in his heart. He realized the money he had taken. He realized the trust he had betrayed. He realized the work that he had abandoned. He looked back and saw the love that he had spurned. When things got hard, he came to what? His senses. The reason he came to himself? Because God left him to himself. So the foolishness of his own proud heart was exposed. See, we think that we can. We think that we have the ability to do. But we don't really know who we are and how frail and fragile and weak and how much God does in our lives until he leads us to ourselves. And when he leads us to ourselves, then we realize and see the foolishness of our own proud heart is exposed to us. So here's the question. How was God, how, how did God's grace prevail? Second Chronicles chapter 32 verse 26 says this, but Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. Listen at that. It didn't say the wrath didn't come. It say it didn't come in the days of Hezekiah. Hezekiah lived his dream. That wrath that he asked about, that's why he said that word that Isaiah brought to him was a good word. 
Why was it a good word? Because it said that wrath was not, was, that wrath was postponed. He would not see the wrath in his own date, that the wrath of God will be brought forth at a later date. And that's what I was saying earlier, that we, we don't, we don't we're, we're so selfish that we know that judgment is coming on the world as long as it don't come in our time. We know that there are difficult days ahead as long as we don't have to be caught up in them and deal with them. That's selfishness. So what's the difference between him and Christ? The difference between him and Jesus is he became proud and lived for himself. But what did Jesus do? Jesus humbled himself to death, left the riches of heaven and gave himself for what? The good of others. Oh God, help us so that we will live this life not for ourselves, Oh, hallelujah. But for the good of others. Can we wake up on a day-to-day basis with someone else on our, on our mind? Can we wake up and not be thinking about ourselves? I'm telling you, self is a, is a big, big, big issue. That's why Jesus said, if any man would come after me, let him first do what? Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. What else did Hezekiah do? When he was faced, when he faced the wrath of God, as long as it was, as long as it was on others and not him, he was good. <laughs> now, I, man, it'd be awesome if if, if all of my punishment could fall somewhere else. It really did. But if my, all of my punishment would fall on another generation and not in my time, God just leave me. Lord, Lord, just let me live my life out in peace. Let them deal with the, the wrath of my choices and decisions. But what did Jesus do? Jesus said, let it be on me and not on them. Let the wrath fall on me and not on them. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And Jesus didn't postpone the wrath. He removed it. He took it. He took it away. He took it away. So, I know you're tired of me asking this question, but I got to go there again. What are you doing with the life God has given you or in some cases given back to you? I know you don't want to hear it, but let's hear it again. What are you doing with the life God has given you or in some cases given back to you? I had a stroke. My life was given back to me. I'm not doing everything that I need to do. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm not doing everything that I need to do with the life he's given back to me. I need to do better. I made some commitments, but not living up to them. I find myself too often thinking about myself. Fussing about what somebody is doing to me. 
What if Jesus had done that? Jesus never fussed about what they did to him. There were some times when he had difficult days. There were some times when he had a hard time. But he always had us on his mind. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Father, if thou be willing, take this cup from me. But he looked and saw us and he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. He said, Father, is, is there another way? Can you take this cup from me? But he always came back to this statement, not as I will, but as thou would have me to do. Do you see yourself making commitments but not living up to them? Lord, if you'll spare me, I will. I will. God, if you'll help me, I will. I will. God, if you'll get me out of this, I will. I will. I will. And then when God gets you out, you don't. You don't. You don't. You start living for yourself. You start storing up treasures for you. You start thinking that that money that you have belongs to you and, and you deny God his, what he asks of you. You refuse to give. You refuse to help others. Because your heart becomes proud. You forget that it was God that saved you and not you yourself. Let me say this to you. This is a good word, folks. This is good, this is good food. This is good food. And if you see the condition of your heart, if you see something that I'm saying, if you, your eyes are becoming open to something that I'm saying and you're seeing that it's true, that's proof that God is still working on you. That's proof that God is still working in you. That's proof that God is still trying to reach you and change you. That's proof that God still loves you. He wants you to hear and to heed his voice. I want to read another scripture to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 through 15. It, it's, it's so awesome and it's so powerful. It, it says this, it says, For the love of Christ... In the King James, it says, constrains us, but this, this easy, EVS, English, ESV, whichever one it is, I can't think right now. But it says, for the love of Christ, this version says, for the love of Christ controls us. And listen what it says now. It says, because we have concluded this. That one has died for all. Who is that one? Jesus. And then it says, because one died for all, because he died for all of us, therefore all have died. Listen now, he considers that when he died for all, all of us died with him. That's what, that's what, that's what uh, uh, Romans chapter 6 says. Therefore, if I've been crucified with Christ, I'm, I'm, I'm therefore dead to sin's power and its control. Because if one died for all, then all have died. This is what the word says. Second Corinthians 5, 14, 15. Open your Bible, read it. He said, he says, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. 
That's, what, that, that's where we should consider ourselves dead to sin's power, authority, and its control. And he that died for all, and he that died for all, that those who live, in other words, we died, but we still alive. Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. He said, those that died, and he that died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves. But for him who for their sake died and was raised. Let me say that again. That those who live might no longer live for themselves. Oh, oh God, oh God, help us. Oh God, help us. Help us first to see that, we, that one died for all. And that when he died for all, all of us died with him. Why did he do it? So that we who live might no longer live for ourselves. In other words, I crucified with Christ. I, I, I'm denying myself. I'm taking up my cross. The one that I died on. And why am I taking it up? I'm going to keep it with me. So that everybody can know this is a dead man walking. But he's still alive. But he's no longer living for himself, but he now living for him, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You know, when you read Isaiah chapter 61, it says, who shall declare his generation? In other words, he was speaking about Jesus because what he was saying was Jesus didn't have no children. So who is going to declare his generation? Here it is. Here's who's going to declare his generation. He died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves. We are supposed to declare Jesus' generation. And we're supposed to live, allow him Crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. I'm supposed to be living for Jesus. And his love is supposed to control me or constrain me. It's supposed to keep me from being arrogant and proud. And thinking that I can do anything in and of myself. Because, well, guess what? If he died for all, then all died. But those that still live should not live for themselves, but for him that died for all and was raised for them. I say this again. God, help us. Help us. Father, help us to have an attitude of gratitude. Help us to realize that it's all about you.
Help us to see how weak and frail we are. Help us to see how incapable we are. Help us to see that we are nothing, we have nothing, we own nothing, we can do nothing, we deserve nothing. So that we'll stop complaining when you put us in places so that we can see who we are, what we are. So that there can be a manifestation of Jesus in the earth so that men won't see us, but they'll see Jesus living in us and through us. Help us. Oh, God. To not make commitments to you. That we're never going to keep. That we never have any intentions of doing. Help us not to say things in a crisis because of a crisis. But help us to say things that we truly intend to live up to and to do. Help us to stop saying that we'll live for you when truthfully we really, we really want to live for ourselves. Help us and have mercy upon us, oh God. Help us and have mercy upon us. Help us and have mercy upon us. I bless you. I praise you. I thank you, I honor you, I worship you for it. And Father, I pray now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would bless the tithe and the offering. You said, bring them into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house. And you said, prove me now who will, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open to you the windows of heaven. Pour you out a blessing that you won't have room enough to receive it. You said you rebuked the devour for our sake, and he would not destroy the fruit of our ground. Neither would our vine cast the fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And you said all nations would call us blessed, and we will be a delight to the land. You said give, it be given to us. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give unto our bosom. Lord, we thank you that you are faithful and great high priest. We ask you to receive these tithes, receive this offering. Give it back 100-fold in this lifetime, in this day, this age. And, Father, we bless you, we praise you, we worship you, we honor you, and we thank you for it. And in that sweet name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, come back next week. But before you go, let's spend a little bit of time in worship to our God. Choose.
you 